0: Welcome to the Programming Leadership Podcast, where we help great coders become skilled leaders and build happy, high performing software teams.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Marcus, and this is Programming Leadership. I am beyond excited today to have my good friend, Reuven Lerner, join me. Reuven, thank you for being on the show.
0: Marcus, I am delighted to be here.
1: Reuven, you are an amazing person, but, but here's why. Here's why I look up to you so much. You have taken uh, your knowledge, and you do what so many expert programmers say they want to do. They want to help other people learn to do what they do. And you have built a training business. Now, your business started with Python. Is that right? Well, my
0: business originally started with me doing development and consulting and some training. And it was a mishmash, like it was some Perl and some Linux. And I sort of over time ended up doing a lot of Python stuff.
1: Okay. Well, I have the impression, what I think it was when I met you, you were deep into the Python. And today on the show, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about how technical managers can think about training better. We all want our teams to perform better. We want to, to get them training. We want to, you know, skill, uh, upskill, whatever the right phrase is. But how do we even evaluate trainers? What should we look for in a trainer? And what impacts can we really expect it to have? So those are some of the things on my mind. And because I think that it's a, it's kind of a hard area. Do you find that you think maybe people aren't getting the most from their training dollars today?
0: For sure. Overall, yes. I mean, there are definitely companies where it runs like a well-oiled machine. They know how to find training. They know how to uh, sort of find the needs from the engineers and the managers and tra- and then go out and find training that's appropriate. They know how to ask the training companies what they're offering and sort of act as a go-betweens. So, you know, there are also different names for, it. I just call them the training managers because there are like a hundred different names that they might have but there are plenty of companies where they don't really know what they're doing. I just spoke earlier today with a company where the CEO is convinced, absolutely convinced, that the way to ensure that training will work well is to have a final exam at the end of the course. And that will make sure people are really paying attention. And okay, maybe they pay attention more, but it ends the course on such a bitter note because people are like, why did I only get such and such on, a, on this test? And it's all talking about the test and not talking about, let's just learn. So. There are all sorts of companies and all sorts of attitudes. And yeah, we can pick apart some of the the sort of from the beginning, wanting training till the end and evaluation, everything in between.
1: Mm, wonderful. Well, you use two words that sometimes I hear as synonyms, but I wonder if you think they are. And that the first word you used was training, and the second word you used was learning. Are those the same thing?
0: In theory, they could be, or sort of two sides of the same coin, right? Like I'm providing training and I'm hoping that my people are learning. Um, I know for a fact that many of them, while I am giving my training, are Facebooking and Twittering and emailing instead. So <laughs> slightly different verbs, shall we say. Um, I spoke to someone a few years ago who runs one of these, I forget what they're called, but like a, a sort of crunch school where you go for, in Israel, it be at least like six months of in-depth learning of technical skills and then he's a very clever business model where then those people work for him and he does outsourcing so they work for him outsource for two years and then they're free to go um and he said to me look what you're doing is just entertainment no one's really learning from anything you're doing oh my gosh great way to start a conversation. Um, oh, I bet. <laughs> I really, I love that conversation. And, and basically he was convinced that there's no actual learning going on in the training world because at the end of the day, how am I evaluated? How do people decide to bring me back? It's based on the course evaluation at the end. And if people enjoyed it, they'll give me a high evaluation. And if people didn't enjoy it, they'll give me a low one. That is not entirely false. That said, I think that good training and good learning go hand in hand. Um, and you can sort you might not be able to quantify it as they would want on these surveys, but if you're in a good class, like you've been in lectures, you've been in classes, and a good one, you come away not only inspired and entertained, but you've also learned something, and you can then apply it in your work, and you feel that. And I mean, when I repeat, when I go to a company repeated times, and I'm in the cafeteria... Very often, someone will come up to me and say, you know, that thing that you taught me, I used it in work next week. And that's just the best feeling in the world, right? Like, I know that it was actually effective and useful.
1: Oh, absolutely. Did you hear? The O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference is coming to Berlin November 4th through 17th, 2019. It's the only conference that focuses exclusively on software architecture and the evolution of the architect role. It is right down in the weeds with technology. It's hitting all the complex topics from microservices, serverless, to domain-driven design and application architecture. They feature different styles of learning, too, from 50-minute sessions to two-day training courses. They also focus on the soft skills, knowing that architects have to communicate complex technical topics and their merits compassionately to both upper management and technical teams. They're here to help you navigate different communication styles, such as in their two-day training called the Architectural Elevator. They know how siloed you can feel as an architect, and they offer countless networking opportunities to meet people, talk tech, and really get a broader understanding of the field, sharing personal experiences and learnings that you can apply to your own work. Lots of their attendees may not carry the title architect, but they are either aspiring architects or like I was doing the work of a software architect, either as a manager or even as a company owner. Now, they've got a special networking experience called Architectural Katas. Doesn't that sound cool? Where you get to practice being a software architect. Attendees break up into small groups and work together on a project that needs architectural development. This conference is gonna be co-located with the Velocity Conference this year which presents an excellent opportunity to increase your cloud-native systems expertise. You can get access to all of Velocity's keynotes and sessions on Wednesday and Thursday, in addition to software architecture, for just €445. Listeners to this show get 20% off most passes to software architecture when you use the code MB20 during registration. That's M-B-20. Where do you find out more? You go to O'ReillySACon.com slash Blankenship for this special offer. That's O'ReillySACon.com slash Blankenship. We're thankful that they're a sponsor of the show. Okay, well, let's start at the beginning. So let's imagine that somebody here is listening and they have been, um, they're, they're hearing from their team that they need to be better at a, a, a language, like Python. And they're trying to figure out, like, do I buy them books? Do we use a Coursera course? And there's, it seems to me in, in this day and age, there is a whole spectrum of ways that people can learn and that technology managers can, uh, can enable their teams to learn. So do you have kind of, and I recognize that you are a trainer, but if you were in that position, how would you go about thinking through all the different options?
0: Look, first of all, we have to remember that different people are different, right? So there are going to be some people who can, right? When I learned Python, how did I learn it? I read the man page. Why? Because that's all there was back in the you know, Mesozoic era. Nowadays, right, there's a whole host of different options for every technology, first of all, I'm not against books. I read books. I love books. I learn a lot from books. The problem with books is that some people are going to read them and some people are not going to read them. And so you're going to end up with this uneven sort of learning. And a lot of times what happens just today, I spoke to a company where they've adopted Python. And uh, as I call it, they're writing Python with a heavy CI accent, right? Like it's, it's like, Yeah, they're using Python, but it's not the way it's supposed to be used. And the manager recognizes this. So could he have them all read books? Yeah, but they're not going to do it. And who knows when they're going to do it? And who knows what they're going to get out of it? So I would say it's worth having books around like a Safari subscription, just as like a backup, a reference, so people can go more in depth if they want to. But if you're looking to get your whole team aligned in their understanding, it's probably not the best way to go another way to do it would be something like plural or coursera or any of those the video courses some of those are very high quality my beef with those and i actually have started to produce video courses so right. like so a I can't book. Say they're you all, have a book <laughs> uh, right and i have a book right like i'd like to say right so so they're all terrible except for mine um <laughs> no like i mean i'd love i'd love to say that all video courses are bad but that's not true again um first of all my big problem with video courses is they're non-interactive that yes i put exercises in my video courses but i'm not there there's no pressure there's no feeling of oh i should really do this and there's no interaction neither with the instructor nor with your peers when i'm training i have people work in pairs pair programming, two people on one computer they don't always listen to me fine you know programmers have been known to be a little stubborn sometimes but when they do it they learn a ton. And when they can ask me questions or why is this not working, they can learn even more. And that's missing from the video course. So again, that's good. By the way, the other thing is, uh, so I've started doing like blended learning with some of my clients. So they will buy my video course and they'll watch the videos. And then I come in for the second day of training. It's always very weird. I come in and I have to learn their names and they all have been hearing me speak for eight hours of lecture. It's kind of funny. So there, it's clear they've not learned as much of the videos, partly because of what I just said, partly because they, the company says, well, you'll watch these videos, but they don't actually give them time to do it. And so uh-huh. the people feel sort of like, well, what am I supposed to do? And people even say I've done it two or three in the morning. However, people have also said to me, the advantage of the videos is they can go back and rewatch them and use them as reference afterwards. And that was a big surprise to me that after the course is over, typically you have the slides maybe, but nothing more. So the videos are, are again, a good reference, I would say, better in some ways or for different people than the books. And then you have the actual in-person training. And I definitely think, look, there's no doubt about it, that's the most expensive way to go because you're taking up a trainer's time, right? I can sell as many video courses as I want simultaneously, um, but I can only be in one place at a time, despite my best efforts to the contrary. And so you're paying the premium for the instructor if it's a good instructor though they will give those interactions they will have those hints look one of the things i do when i start a course is i go around and i get everyone's name i will not remember people's names i'll remember some of them but more importantly in some ways i'll ask them what is their background and then if i know there's some former Perl people some former java people some people using windows then during the course i can point out the things that are relevant to them and they get a more personalized course than would be possible otherwise Similarly, I can talk with their manager before the course happens and I can really customize it to their needs. Um, usually it's not more than a five, 10% adjustment, but that adjustment can make all the difference in how they perceive it. So there are many ways to go and each has its advantages and disadvantages. The other thing is not just the money, but the scheduling, right? A good trainer is going to be booked months in advance. And so uh, if a company really needs something now, next month, uh, they might need a compromise.
1: So you've got these managers who want their team to improve their skills. How important is it that the team wants this training? Important.
0: Look, um, I've definitely had people come to my courses where, and in fact, I'll even say it's like when, so when I go around and ask people, so what's your name and what do you do? What's your background in Python? And And I say, and why are you here? And and I then add, knowing this will get a chuckle, it's okay to say I'm here because my manager forced me to take this course, right? And so, right. the people always giggle because that's true, right? That has, like it happens to be true. So, so it's important that they want to learn. My my kids once asked me, and this says a lot about Israeli schools. My kids asked me, so when you go to work, Dad, do you have to yell at your students for them to listen? And the answer is no. Because they're usually there because they want to learn. They realize this is going to help themselves in their career currently and in future places. Many people say, I want to learn Python. I want to learn one of these things, you know, 10 different courses, right? I want to learn these skills because it's going to help me in my next company as well. And it will make me a more marketable employee. And so a manager can say, look, I'm not only giving you this perk now to help us as a company, I'm helping you in your career, but you'll always get some people, right? Like the most egregious example I remember is probably from almost 10 years ago. I, I go into the classroom, Um, And I say, hi, welcome to introduction to Python. Nice to see you. And this guy in the front row says in this really loud voice, what a bunch of crap. What a terrible language. I'm like, Ah. what? (laughs) What? Now, he basically thought that Python was this toy language. Who would possibly want to use it? It obviously is like nothing compared to C and C++. Um, now, the good news is I was able to use him as a foil for every single one of my like, sarcastic comments throughout the course. Um, by the way, at the end of the fourth day, I get emails from him saying, you know, Python is not a bad language. Where can I go to teach my daughter? Because I think she should learn it, too. So wow. it is possible to turn people around from a bad attitude. But very often, those people will just be, again, on their phones, doing email, whatever it is in the background. And as long as they don't bother me, I'm not going to bother them.
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, one of the things I hear from technical managers, I kind of hear two perspectives. It seems like when it comes from to training on one hand, it seems like some of them think that training is like taking your vitamins. Like it's just a good thing. Why wouldn't we keep training and we have a training budget? We should use it. On the other hand, some people think that training is like taking your nitroglycerin. If you have a heart condition, like it's so important to take right then it's going to keep you alive. And a lot of times they wait until they're at the cusp of having a heart attack. They almost wait too late to start training, thinking they can just take it and get an immediate effect. And I don't know if you see either of these two things where people don't really know what outcome they want, or they have a very specific outcome and they need that outcome to happen immediately. Um, do you have any opinion on kind of where most people land, or where people should be thinking, and how they should think about training? So I think they should think
0: in the first way, brother. I love the, that, the, the, those metaphors. I've never heard that before, and that's fantastic. I definitely think that the vitamin approach, you know, the exercise approach, is the is the best way. First of all, because the learning takes time to sink in, right? So it's, I, I always always make the analogy between teaching programming and teaching a human language right? So you have to go to country X and you won't have a translator. You don't want to just depend on the phrase book. So you go to like intensive French, intensive Spanish, whatever it is for four days, right? You will be able to order a restaurant, find the restroom, find the train station, so forth, but you won't be able to have an in-depth conversation. But if you have those four days, a month or two in advance, and then it has time to percolate in and sink in, you'll be more fluent. You'll have time to think it over. It'll be less rushed. And so I think the idea of having it Early on, seeing it as part of the curriculum, sort of the, the career development is good. But I think it's also healthy for an organization to say, we're investing in you. We want you to learn these things, even if there's no immediate payoff, even if it's not directly for, um, like, you know, helping the company right now. We think that at some point in the next year, you're going to be exposed to this, you'll need this, you'll, you'll want this. Now, that might be a little excessive, right? Because companies are not going to spend willy nilly just on making people feel good. Um, but if you're doing it at the last moment, people are going to feel that pressure and people are going to feel like, oh my God, like what What if I don't get what I need out of this course? Um, also, like it's just a nice feeling to know from the employee's perspective, wow, my company cares about me. They yeah. want to invest in me. They're not going to rush to
1: find another place to
0: work as quickly.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I've, I think I've been sent to some of those courses where they were like, well, you're starting this new thing. You have to go learn it and be ready to like be really productive in four weeks in some new language or technology that I'd never done before, and it was actually really stressful um, let's Let's talk about how we evaluate courses how how what should managers expect? Should they have a really clear goal in mind um, and how should they know if the course was a success? Is it just about people enjoying themselves I'm sure it's not I'm being a little facetious right. Look, so
0: first of all, um, so I I finished a PhD, I guess it was five years ago now, in what's called learning sciences, which is this combination of computer science, cognitive science and design, all within an education department. And the one question you were never allowed to ask in learning sciences if you wanted to pass your dissertation defense was what is learning or how can we describe learning, right? You ask that and you've fallen into a trap because there's oh. no established way to say, have people learned. So you can do what's called like a pre-test and a post-test, right? So, so in a company, you're just gonna have a post-test, right? You're just gonna have a test afterwards. And if people pass the test, you assume that they've learned something. Okay. Maybe better yet would be to have them do some sort of project. Quite frankly, no one I've seen really wants to do that. Time and money are just not worth it. So realistically, I think it comes down to, are they able to do their jobs better? Right, so uh, perhaps even more practical than Python, although that's certainly like a practical thing, Um, I teach also Git courses. And so what typically happens there, um, and I I say this at the beginning of my course also, people sort of nod, say, okay, you start using Git, they told you here are the five commands to use, and as long as you use these commands, you are safe. And something goes wrong and they say, that's okay, erase the repository, clone again, and use those five commands again. And people are like, yeah, right, and then things go haywire, I don't know what to do so i thought it was just me (laughs) right right Right? literally so 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 i say okay like the point of this course is you'll you'll understand what's going on and afterwards they go back and they they, again if you see the cafeteria or whatever they say what do you know i hit a bump and i knew what to do i knew what was going on i knew what every message was telling me so that's hard to measure but easy to identify in that people are no longer falling into these traps going crazy um, searching for the Git expert, the Python expert, who can help them get themselves out of the hole they've dug for themselves.
1: There's always one Git. I think every company has to have that that Git expert who for some reason is also a little snarky and wants to come over and take <laughs> over my keyboard. Uh, yeah, what you described was exactly me. And in fact, in some ways, it seems like knowing something like Git and really understanding it deeply would be more beneficial for the long term for a company than investing in a particular language like python or i mean maybe they i'm sure they both have benefits but as soon as you talked about like you know the five commands yeah that would open up so much um are there other kind of fundamental skills that you see opportunities we'll use that word opportunities that companies should be investing in more
0: so here's one that I've never, ever seen a company invest in, but they all should, touch typing. So yes. I, type, I type really fast, right? Like I just did this like online test. It's like I typed like 140 words a minute or something. Um, so I realized this is very fast. And like my father and my parents forced me to learn to touch type when I was in high school and I screamed and yelled and okay, here I am today and thankful for it. Um, you know, like all teenagers, years later, we realized how wise our parents were, but yes. It's not just that people sort of are amazed by my typing, they are inhibited or they are like, you know, they, they sort of restricted how much they can get done in a day by that. So some company somewhere should, should take the opportunity and teach their programmers touch typing and they will yell and scream as I did when I was in high school, but it will be majorly better. Like that will give the company an efficiency
1: boost that they have, that they can't get sort of like, like low hanging fruit elsewhere. Um, and it should be like touch typing for programmers, right? So that you that makes you remember all the symbols. And I mean, because it's clearly it's not just right. the alphabet we need. I not thought of that. Yes, yes,
0: yes, exactly. But otherwise, look, I mean, it's probably, I, I can't think of anything offhand. I mean, certainly sort of knowing the Unix command line, it's easy for me to say that's a great thing to know. But uh, I, I hear that there's like this Windows operating system that's gaining popularity that some people use. And so teaching all those people Unix might be just a, a waste of time um i've heard but those Windows fundamental is skills yeah, yeah yeah but like those 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 fundamental skills of like operating the computer and working with it i know it seems like not essential to people's work but having these fundamentals really helps you sort of fly through the system and then use it for the purpose you want which is getting your work done and like not spending time on the nonsense
1: i like that riven what what do you wish the people that hired you knew about training, about how to utilize a trainer, about how to utilize internal resources? Like, what could, they, what could they know? What could we share with them? Kind of pull back the Wizard of Oz curtain from a trainer's perspective.
0: So first of all, um, so I've got like, I guess two companies where they have a lot of their employees go through my courses on a regular basis. And they have basically decided this is sort of fundamental knowledge that everyone here needs to have and so we're just going to run this course like once every two, three months or so, um, even if it's not like, as we were talking before, like essential for them right now, right to, you know, tomorrow, um, so that they'll have this sort of body of knowledge that they can use. And so having that long-term perspective of he, what are the things we want everyone in the company to know or all the engineers to know, um, and then just scheduling it. Um, and you can even schedule many times a year in advance and say, we, we are sure that we're going to have 20 people, right, numbers, to fill a classroom. Um, And we'll just sort of figure it out two months beforehand. So figure out what the skills are, figure out how you want them to be trained in it, and then sort of just sort of put that on people's schedule. Um, Another thing is, how do you want to schedule it? So I have found there is a fascinating cultural divide between Israel, where I live, and everywhere else in the world. And I don't think it's because everywhere else I have to fly there and I'm there several days in a row. So companies in Israel basically refuse to have courses several days in a row absolutely, positively, adamantly refuse because their workers aren't getting work done, right? So what, you want me to take them away from work four days in a row? Are you nuts? I'll give you maybe two days a week and definitely not consecutive days. Um, Every other country that I've encountered, including when I do online courses through WebEx, they're like, of course we want it several days in a row. And people just block off the time and they go to the course and they have an away message on their email. And that's that. I prefer the several days in a row. It's much more intense, but I think people get more out of it. Um, But every company has to sort of decide on these trade-offs because during those days, people won't be available as much as you want. um, And you just have to sort of plan for that. And so no, like there was a company I was going to do some training at last year in May. And they said, you know what? We can't do May because uh, that's a week when we're going to have a release. So everyone's going to have to be on duty. So
1: let's bump it off to July.
0: Fine. I totally get it.
1: I was actually going to ask you which format you felt was most effective. And I think you answered it. You felt the intensive being there four days in a row was more effective for learning than being yes. there once or twice a week for three, two, two to four weeks. Is that right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And what's Why do you even think worse? That
0: is? I think it's because you, you get the momentum, right? That, that if, you, if you wait a week, do people really remember? Do they understand the context? Do they have that sort of flow? Are are they familiar with, I mean, I'm also teaching them how to use certain environments and certain tools. And so they kind of forget the tools a little bit. It just all fades away a little more. Um, And also there's just more of a sort of camaraderie that emerges when you're all together in the same room for a number of days. You know, um, they, whether they like my jokes or they hate my jokes, they, they sort of like get, usually hate, but like they get used to them to some degree and they're like familiar with how, how it works. Um, Gives me a chance to remember their names better, remember their strengths and their weaknesses better. I think it's just better all around. Um, but it means saying no, it means having a company back them up uh, when they say, I'm in a course, I'm not going to be able to do my work this week. And that's for the long-term benefit of the company, even though it's short-term detrimental.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny I was talking with somebody the other day who uh it was um it was actually the owner of a publishing company called Dorset House. And uh, Dorset House was a really big um computer and tech book publisher in the 80s and 90s. They did like wear. and uh, I mean they did some they did some pretty good titles and they did a lot of Jerry Weinberg's work and I was talking with the owner of that and she said Companies just don't train like they used to. She said, we used to sell uh, bookloads, what'd she say? She said carloads of books because training was so ingrained. And now, and she attributed it to turnover. She said, turnover's so high, companies don't want to invest. You know, somebody's going to be there a year or two, they think, well, there's no point. So we should just go hire people who are already trained. And I was just curious, Ruben, what's your? do you see a link there between kind of the turnover cycles in 2019 and what companies expect and want to invest in?
0: I had never thought about the turnover perspective. Um, there's something to that. I've definitely seen a growing trend in companies to say wherever we can use uh, an O'Reilly, a Plural site, a Udemy, Coursera, instead of in-person training, we'll do it because it's cheaper, because it's more flexible. Both are true, it is cheaper, more flexible. I think to a large degree you're getting what you pay for. Um, I've had a number of clients come to me and say, um, like I, I've Over the last few years, I've started recording more and more of these video courses, and I found that it's not only useful for getting individuals online who want to learn the subjects I'm teaching, it's also a useful tool to go to companies with, and then we can negotiate, do you want the online course, do you want the in-person course, or do you want a blended course? So one company that I go to, um, I used to do a four-day intro to Python course, and they came to me and they said, um, we are trying to do more and more video, can we reduce it to three days? and have some video component. I said, well, tell you what, the first day that we do together is actually available as a video course. And so now they buy three days of my time and the video course for those employees. But then, as I think I mentioned earlier, we show up on day two and half the people haven't watched the videos from the first day. Um, And they have to sit on those people because they have other work to do. And it's clear, it's abundantly clear to me that this is not a, uh, a highfalutin learning educational pedagogical thought. This is because they want to save money. And in fact, when I tried charging them the same amount, they came back and squeezed me and said, listen, what is this? You, you know you're not going to be here for the day. How can you charge us for a day? And uh, you know, I, of course, gave a fight knowing that they were right. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: it's one of the things you've come back to a few times is this importance to give people the time. And I have noticed, and I'm just, I'd love your thoughts on, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Does it seem to you that everyone is working in more time pressure than ever these days? There's just very little time. I mean, as you say, you have to give people the time to do this, but it's so hard. Is the time pressure just worse, worse and worse than maybe even than it was 10 years ago? Or maybe is it just me? I don't know. I don't know if it's
0: worse, but it's bad. Hmm. Um, it's so bad. When, right, when, when a company calls me up and hears that my, you know, most of my courses, uh, sort of main courses are four days long. So the line I hear all the time is, well, our people are smarter than average. So oh. we can do it in three days. So this is like the Lake Wobegon effect for like, you know, you know, all engineers and all companies are smarter than average. Amazing. And I have to explain to them, this is not a measurement of intelligence. It takes time, and I'm not just saying to get through the material because I take a long time to talk. It takes time to absorb it. It takes time to do the exercises. And indeed, over the, over the years, uh, what I've said now for at least five years is every year I remove content and add exercises to my courses, and people come away more satisfied because they're learning more. They feel like they're doing more. The engineers are absorbing more. And even if they, like, sure, I could go through 20 more topics, but they're not going to learn those. And so the companies need to understand that the time, as frantic as things might be at the office, the, the time to invest in learning and just it just takes time. There's just no way around it. It's like learning a language. Again, like, you know, my my you you know, like my, my obsession for the last few years has been learning Chinese. And so like every right. morning I get up early, I do an hour of it, and it's only like very, very, very slow progress over time that's managed to get into my head and feel to some degree natural. And I'm far from fluid. And that's that's a lesson that I've learned with the programming classes also. Lots of practice over lots of time. And indeed, I would say if there's, if there's one thing that companies don't do that I'm trying to figure out sort of ways to do is to have like a, a course in two parts. There'd be like the learning part now, like let's say we do a four day course and then a follow up workshop, like a month or two later, um, where we practice more, remember things better, um, it's sort of like taking a language course, waiting a month and then going to the country and being in an immersive situation where it'll bring back a lot of the memories and and have you use it um afterwards now i've got some online courses that try to do that i haven't yet managed to marry that with my corporate training but that's definitely part of my thinking here
1: really interesting let's shift gears what does your crystal ball tell you because i know you have one i'm sure about the future (laughs) what will training be like in 20 years how will things be the same or different so we have
0: been convinced or people have been convinced for at least a century now that with technology x we have solved the problem of learning and teaching and finally we can do it better than we could with a teacher and for the most part technology x whether it's tv or movies or the internet or whatever has turned out not to be the case I still think, and of course, this is very self serving. I still think that the right teacher with the right understanding, the right, as we call it, like sort of in, in the education biz, you talk about content knowledge, like actually knowing the thing, and pedagogical content knowledge. Do you know how to explain the thing? And I often make the analogy to stand up comedians, where, you know, before you see them in their fancy, fancy show, they are practicing their jokes time and time again. And only after 20, 30 times of telling a joke, in different variations, they see how it works. I have the advantage because I'm doing it every day of doing the same thing with my training and my explanations. So there's certain explanations that I know will hit home and work beautifully because I've sort of field tested them and others I try out and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. That is true for, I think, all instructors. And I don't think that is going to change at all. What is going to change is, I think, the automation of feedback that when you do practice, right? So I can, if I, It's now possible on a growing number of platforms for people to enter programs and to get instant feedback on your program is wrong here, right? Think of, oh, I'm trying to remember what's it called, the the Math and Other Skills Academy, Khan Academy, right? Right. I only used it a tiny, tiny amount. Um, My kids were not so excited by the idea, but basically, uh, and then what was I gonna do there, right? But basically you enter different things and it gives you immediate feedback and hints on where did you get it wrong? Not just giving the answer, but push you in the right direction. And that is a very powerful tool, not by itself for learning, but for reinforcing what you do in class. So that I think is gonna become very big. Um, And we're just gonna see a a plethora of courses on so many different topics. We already have that, right? you go to Udemy and you wanna learn something on Python. So first you have to choose from the 300 Python courses. How the heck are you gonna know? And by the way, half of them might be great and half of them are probably terrible. Go choose that half. also, I find that so, something that has changed my courses a lot, and I've seen it in the last decade or so, is Stack Overflow. So it used to be that if I would give an assignment, and, you know, I would give an in class, and I'd say, go do such and such. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people would say, I don't understand how to do such and such. Would you explain to me? Sure. You know, like, it's my job. I want to make things clear. And I would explain it, and then they go and do the exercise. Nowadays, what will happen is someone will call me over and say, hey, my program's not working. I'll go over and I'll say, wait, we haven't learned that yet where did you find, like, like, how did you come up with that solution that doesn't quite work? And they'll say, oh, I searched on Stack Overflow, found some code, and I pasted it in. Now, you know, that's what they're doing in their job day to day, right? They're cutting and pasting from Stack Overflow. But it has changed things because people are so used to mechanically copying and pasting without understanding and hoping that if it's close enough, they'll be able to make do. And so my job is no longer to teach them um, the syntax so much. I teach them why this syntax works in a certain way. Understand the mechanism behind it, so that when they encounter that code and read it, they'll know: is this appropriate? Is it not? Should I use it? Should I not?
1: The Stack Overflow effect. You heard it here first. At least that's the way I'm going to call it. Is I think you're right. In fact, it makes me wonder if people are spending more time. This is going to sound weird. Instead of writing code, maybe we're spending more time debugging code from Stack Overflow, trying to modify the code that we cut and paste rather than writing the code. And when you write it, you have an attempt at understanding what you wanted. But if you go get five lines from Stack Overflow and paste them in, and I've done this, I think everybody listening probably has, and you're hoping it's going to work because you're whatever. But it does seem like reasoning through and reading and reasoning through code is even more important when you didn't write it.
0: Absolutely. Look, the, uh, again, the metaphor I use is to language. And I describe uh, Stack Overflow as a phrase book, right? So so you go to a country, you, you're you like, oh, I need to find the train station. Flip, 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 right? And you mm-hmm. say the sentence and you hope you'll understand their response. You hope it's in the right accent, dialect, location, whatever. So Stack Overflow, you find the response you need, you paste it in, but then you're sort of stuck if it's not quite appropriate, right? What if it's not the train station, it's the bus station? Uh oh, I don't know how to say that in whatever language. So, so what I aim for both of my online courses and my in person courses, I talk about this a lot, is fluency. That I don't, I, I want you to understand the mechanisms and thinking so that when you learn something new, you can add it to your existing knowledge and, and sort of get a sense of how it works and know how the system is designed rather than just piecemeal cut and paste. Um, but that takes time and there's just no way around that. That just takes time.
1: Reuven, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you online?
0: So uh, my main website is at learner.co.il. That's L-E-R-N-E-R.co.il. And from there, there are links to my blog. Uh, I have a weekly free weekly uh, um, newsletter that called Better Developers, which is mostly about Python. You can sign up for it there. Um, and there's also a link to my online store with various things. Um, I also recently just started a YouTube channel Um, where every day I'm uploading a new, every day, every few days, I'm going through the Python standard library because it turns out no one actually knows it, the whole thing, because it's so ridiculously huge. So I decided to take it upon myself to go through it little bit by little bit in small segments. I am learning a lot, having a blast. People can find that also. We'll, We'll put the link to that in the show notes
1: as well. Reuben, thank you so much. Great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you for listening to Programming Leadership. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.programmingleadership.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks again for listening,
1: and we'll see you next time.